0: Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and
1: viewers like
0: you. This week on New Mexico in Focus,
2: we take you to an effort to create a community oasis in one of the hottest parts of Albuquerque. It's
1: not a cure-all, but it's a start because the start of it is someone care. Someone cared enough to come put this here.
2: Plus, the governor explains her decision to change education secretaries as she announces her new pick. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. Michelle Lujan Grisham's pick to lead the state schools is Dr. Ryan Stewart, an up-and-comer from the Philadelphia school system who says he's eager to turn around New Mexico's public schools. We'll also talk to the governor about her choice to move on from her first pick for education secretary after six months and about what's next. It seems no one is pleased with the Public Regulation Commission currently, and the frustration has led to calls for the commission members to be appointed by the governor instead of by the voters. The pros and cons are complicated, to say the least. And just before those massive undocumented worker raids in Mississippi, a New Mexico state agency denied a request from ICE for worker records, We'll discuss the ramifications of both the request and that denial. First, we're talking education. Here's the line. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham says Dr. Ryan Stewart comes to New Mexico with a track record of success in getting good programs to work in struggling schools. Mr. Stewart is not yet 40 years old, but convinced the governor that New Mexico can improve its schools if it can find a way to replicate successful programs in the classroom across the state. Our line opinion panelists are here to offer their thoughts and insight on this issue and others. We welcome line regular Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group Public Relations. Merritt Allen E. She's here, owner and executive director of Vox Optima LLC. Also with us is Laura Sanchez-Revey, another Line regular and Director of Government Relations at a firm. I love that outfit there. And for the final time before he and his wife head off for a teaching mm-hmm. gig in Beirut, Harry Van Buren, professor at the Anderson School of Management at UNM. Thank you all for being, being here and Harry, thank you for coming in especially. Now Tom, we spoke to the governor this week and one of the, her points was that New Mexico has some exceptional, exceptional schools out there doing really well in some good programs, but replicating them is going to be a huge issue, and Doctor, uh, the, 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 our new secretary designate agrees. What's your sense of that? Do we have something to, to, to build on here that this fellow can work with?
0: Well, what what I like about the new secretary-designate is that he has experience in turnaround schools, turnaround school districts. uh, He's also a classroom teacher, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, specializing in science and algebra. Uh, So he understands teachers. He understands administration. And Mm -hmm. it appears anyway, through his work through nonprofits in both the West Coast and East Coast, that he knows how to connect with people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really going to be a key thing. Um, this is a position that he has to be successful at for Governor Luhan Grisham. Uh, You know, the first bite of the apple did not go so well. Mm -hmm. uh, And none of us knew that anything was wrong. Uh, So I think that, you know, he has nowhere to go but up. You know, we have 33% proficiency in English, 20% 20 proficiency in math. Mm -hmm. I think there are some great best practices in New Mexico that he could work off of. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really an opportunity for him to come in and say, what's going to work? Here's what has worked for me. Let's see how we can apply that here.
2: Good point there. Laura Sanchez Reve, I mean, Stanford, Harvard, he's got a Lot of good cred behind him. The teaching in the classroom thing, some people get hung up on that thing. Does that mean a lot to you, the, the amount of teaching in the classroom? Does that mean something?
3: It does. I mean, okay. to me personally, I think it's important to have somebody who has that experience behind yeah. them. Um, you know, the previous designer, the, the previous um, secretary, was, um, didn't, didn't come from a current educator role in K through 12. So at the time that she was appointed, it was a little bit um, surprising, I think, for some, mm-hmm. because um, she was in a position at NMSU where she was overseeing some programs. She definitely had the credentials, mm-hmm. but she wasn't a current superintendent. She wasn't a right. current team You know, didn't have sort of the the in- the school system experience mm-hmm. that um, that others had had, mm-hmm. and so that was a little bit surprising. I think there uh, w- one thing for me, um, it's good that he has that experience as a, as a former math teacher. Mm-hmm. He obviously has the credentials. I think it's important that he's um, young, he has good ideas, mm-hmm. um, but he also uh, says that he wants to listen, right. and that's important, I think, for somebody coming in from another state. You yeah, can't you come in guns blazing when you haven't really um, right. spent time in New Mexico and gotten that's to right. know the lay of the land.
2: Exactly right. You know, Merit, um, Laura mentioned an interesting point about him. His career arc. What really caught my eye is something Mimi Stewart talked about actually in the paper the other day in that the Palo Alto, East Palo Alto, you're familiar with that area where he worked in the classroom, 80% of the student body English was not their first language. And so that's an interesting, Mimi Stewart said that's actually a very positive thing for us here that he's naturally inclined to see the situation we have here. Does that make sense to you as well that kind of background? Oh
4: absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I think um, uh, Uh, Secretary-designate Stewart's uh, background looks great and Mm -hmm. uh, everyone, like everyone in New Mexico, I only want him to be successful. But for the last, the events that have led up to his nomination or appointment, um, I feel kind of played. I feel played because, I don't know, another governor, a female Hispanic governor facing an abysmal school system brought in an out-of-state person to be education secretary mm-hmm. and she paid for it every day in the media and politically, right. being called everything but a child of God. And so I, I kind of feel like, did this guy just pop up in the last three weeks mm-hmm. or is this something you wanted to do all along but you knew for optics? Mm.
2: Let's get somebody local. right? Let me ask you on that. Speaking of optics, was it that important to have this man in place before the first day of school? Does it really make that big of a difference? And in your mind, did that actually kind of hasten a decision here, possibly?
4: No, I think Mm -hmm. it had to happen uh, in the interregnum between legislative sessions. So he has time to put some points on the board when he goes up for his Mm -hmm. confirmation hearings.
2: There you go. Good point there. Harry, your initial thoughts on what you see here. You're an educator, mm-hmm. you know backgrounds are tricky. Right. People can look good on, good on paper. Look good at, look good on paper. Right. And we know I, I, this man has has success. So
5: yeah. You know. I do have some concerns though. Uh, I think he brings a lot of energy and a lot of uh, good ideas but he hasn't been a superintendent. Right. Uh, He hasn't supervised a a big school district. Mm -hmm. Uh, In New Mexico, the educational environment is very, very complicated. We have urban and rural schools, Mm -hmm. Uh, the ways we fund schools are uh, very uh, complicated. And I'm a little bit concerned, uh, here I'm going to put my business professor hat on, with all the talk of innovation, Mm -hmm. that it's all about innovation. What we need is more innovation and to me, I'm a little bit cynical about that. That for a couple of reasons first of all innovation is really risky sometimes it works sometimes sometimes it doesn't before the iPhone Apple had the Newton and that didn't work out uh, particularly well what? but also I really think that innovation when people talk about innovation yourself, I, I, I am dating myself <laughs> a lot by the way uh, but also when we talk about innovation mm-hmm. is it innovation, or is it doing the standard things better ah. and in some of the articles that we read for today, there was a somebody something written by somebody from Philadelphia talking about innovation, and there were things like improving structural quality well that 's not really innovative uh, in and of itself. My general uh, sense, and i 've always uh, said this whenever I talk about uh, schools mm-hmm. is how well a school is doing in terms of test scores or attainment says as much about the state or the locality or the neighborhood as it does about the school itself. Mm -hmm. And so we all want him to uh, succeed. It's really important that he succeeds. Mm -hmm. What I hope uh, the governor does is to think about this appointment In the context of other interventions including public health interventions including Mm -hmm. things like feeding up programs uh mental health uh, issues because those are going to be equally important to driving school success
2: good point there it's interesting i want tom i want to ask you about that because i want to just add to what Harry said what he did, Dr. Stewart in North Philadelphia he worked with a staff of five to provide professional development and data analysis to a network of twenty two schools in North Philly and previously served as a special assistant to the superintendent and director of innovation at, in the school district of philadelphia That's the eighth largest district in the country by the way it 's mm-hmm. a you know pretty big district. The point Harry's making about innovation you know it, it, it's easy to get caught up in buzz stuff and,
0: you know, but you got to get the blocking and tackling right, too, don't you? You yeah, just have exactly. to get the basics it, right. That, in itself, is mm-hmm. innovation because, you. you know, so many times we just <laughs> miss mm-hmm. the blocking and tackling, Tackling, yes. we just take it for granted. That's right. And it's just like, oh, okay, let's move on to other more exciting things. That's right. And, uh, you know, the shiny object now is really, what are the basics? That's right. And when you take a look at those items that Harry had mentioned, as far mm-hmm. as that were mentioned by the Philadelphia citizen, you know, the, the school innovation includes things like focusing on school culture, making students mm-hmm achievement right. a priority, yep. developing instructional quality. Again, they're not mind-blowing things. It's just like, these are the basics. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, it's, it's a bit refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will challenge uh, Harry just a little bit in that I don't think that he needs to, that the new superintendent, or superintendent, that the designee does mm-hmm. not need to have had superintendent experience. Right. Um, because he has a lot of folks under him mm-hmm. who are really going to be able to, who know New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that I think is, you know, he has the local team mm-hmm. and now he has a chance to implement his vision.
2: I had a chance to speak with Ellen Bernstein on Wednesday for our Facebook Live. We talked about that very thing. The dream team is still in place, so to speak. You know, yeah. That's my term, not mm-hmm. the governor's. <laughs> um, you just need someone at the top. and Oftentimes, maybe your organization, others, those are the people doing the work, the real mm-hmm. work. The person at the top of it doing the politicking with legislators, they're dealing with you know, all that yeah. other stuff. Does that give you comfort that we have this other team in place? Well, I mean, I think the person at the top is
3: important. But let's remember that um, the previous uh, secretary also didn't have a superintendent. and She wasn't a current superintendent. She was Mm -hmm. in a program at a university. It's very different. Right. Um, I think he brings a lot to it. I'm going to do a little counterpoint to what you said Mm -hmm. about um, the fundamentals, specifically instructional quality, Mm -hmm. not being innovative. I think uh, that could be, I mean, again, I'm going to date myself as well, because, you know, the way that we learned was, was, a specific way, right? right? Mm-hmm. Classroom instruction. I think the way kids learn today is not the same. Mm-hmm. And and there's just so much more out there that kids, you know, their attention span is much shorter. Mm-hmm. Their uh, reliance on technology is much higher than ours necessarily, mm-hmm. back then at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there are mm-hmm. ways to innovate instructional quality um, and, and make sure that whatever you're delivering is mm-hmm. delivered in a way that they're able to capture and utilize. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that there's ways to innovate in that way. But I think overall, you know, it's an important Position. I do mm-hmm. think it's important to have had this done at the beginning of school, you do. Okay. Mm-hmm. because it sets the tone for the school year, gotcha. and I think it reassures parents, teachers, um, as well as the, the school faculty and superintendents, everybody that, that look, we have somebody on board, sure. we're gonna work with you, and we're gonna move forward to accomplish mm-hmm. some
2: things. It's a great challenge. We, we do all wish him well. He has mm-hmm. to succeed. Absolutely. I agree with Harry. I mean, we need someone to really kind of get this thing going. It's a team effort as well. So we'll see what happens there. All right, NMIF producer Matt Grubb sat down with the governor this week in the first interview we've had since she fired Karen Trujillo. She says she doesn't regret Ms. Trujillo's hire but feels that her new pick has a complete vision for success in New Mexico schools and the track record to implement it. Well thanks for coming
6: in and let's start with how we got here. It's only been a few weeks since um, you fired Karen Trujillo. That was a move that surprised legislators, educators, not just Republicans out for blood on this one, but some Democrats spoke up too and said they wanted to know more about why. What specifically happened there?
7: Well, I'm going to tell you that it's less for me about why, and it should be, I hope, less for uh, your viewers and New Mexicans. It should be about what. I'm I'm looking towards the best possible public education system uh, in the country and we have a long way to go and it's a pretty big challenge and I know that because I've run a department or two in my career and it's tough particularly when you're going to be that change agent and I was looking for demonstrable efforts to really get our students engaged in the extended learning programs and to really begin to see the flexibility in meeting students' needs and closing those achievement gaps. And that strategy is tough. And I wanted more aligned there. And uh, we have a parting of the ways. And I believe unequivocally, I've got a secretary who can deliver in that regard uh, because he's been doing that. And that's an issue for New Mexico. We don't provide to our educators that career development path and so it's something that i think the state can actually do a much better job in i need to invest in management leadership vision and educational standards for our educators and i think that'll make a difference in the long haul
6: so it sounds like you were looking for an alignment of vision um she said that your office didn't communicate what was wrong effectively do you buy that
7: i don't and this is a disappointing issue and aspect for everyone. I mean, we, we work actually to mentor and support everyone. And uh, if you'll remember early in uh, our tenure as a brand new administration in identifying uh, candidates to be cabinet secretaries, uh, I think you might have even asked me, when can we expect a corrections secretary? And I said, well, we are doing our very best. We're looking for the right candidate, the best candidate. In the meantime, we have expertise in this office and we aren't ignoring the corrections department. So we do weekly huddles with like cabinets and cabinet secretaries. We leverage, we help them develop and deliver their budgets, their procurement. Because remember that I, uh, uh, at least on the campaign trail, and then reaffirmed after being elected, these are departments with huge vacancy rates who don't have the human resource uh, expertise anymore because that was moved out of their departments. They can't do their budgets. So we've been doing that with these departments from the very first day, so January 3rd, after we're sworn in, we've been doing that and we meet every single week and every group and every department, including the education department, has a policy champion in our office.
6: Uh, you did keep uh, the, all the deputies Um, So and elevated Kara Bobrov to interim secretary for a little while. Um, So it sounds like you're at least pleased with with what's happening at that level.
7: Everyone that we identified has talent and expertise. I don't want anyone in New Mexico to think that uh, we didn't identify candidates, including the former secretary, who have demonstrated in their own capacity in some way remarkable efforts. The deputy secretaries are exactly that group. You know, combined, they have nearly 100 years of education experience. But you have to have a person who can then lead, leverage, and support that group. And our new education secretary is someone who has the education, then has the experience, has middle school teaching expertise, and is now leading a regional nonprofit that actually gets things invested and changed inside schools. And that's the part that we've been missing. Can you take these evidence-based ideas, like extended learning, and can you get them inside our current school system? And can you make that nimble enough that educators, parents, and students are part of that Leadership change and the decision making about how it rolls out. And I think I know unequivocally that Ryan has that specific experience because we've never done that in New Mexico. We didn't have somebody here with that specific experience.
6: Okay. I promise I'm going to let you get to Ryan Stewart in a second. Um, (laughs) Yazzie Martinez, I don't think that I've watched a TV report, read an article, written an article in the last. Um, what, months since it's come out, um, that decision that it hasn't been present in the discussion. Uh, What role, if any, did that play in your decision to remove Karen Trujillo and to to go a different direction?
7: Look, the Yazzie Martinez is critical and we have to meet uh, the requirements in that court order. And for viewers who are unfamiliar, even though you just said it's reported all the time, New Mexico has a court order that unequivocally says that we are not meeting our public education constitutional requirements. And specifically, we are missing the mark in spades when it comes to our disadvantaged and minority students. So in a a state that is still one of the most impoverished states in the country, a minority majority state with specific challenges in language, when you look at Native American communities, we have a great deal of work to do. And the moonshot investment was twofold by the legislature, 446 million dollars, largest single investment into public education ever. It was meant to build and lead, but also meet the requirements in Yazzie Martinez. And here's what we know about Yazi Martinez, and I talked a little bit about it, is we lose students over the summer months, right? That continuity with an educator, you can have it 10 extended days, 25 extended days, that we need to do that so that we don't have Students fall back and then start all over in the next grade, which then leads to our proficiency problems. Which means we don't close those achievement gaps. And if you're a student that didn't get pre-K and didn't have quality childcare, and you're behind when you start school, the issue is you don't ever catch up. All right, so we lose we lose educational time in the summer, and you don't ever catch up. We can't we can't do that even if we didn't have a court order anymore to any New Mexico student. So Yazzie Martinez is a great guidepost. It tells us unequivocally that we were underspending in education. It tells us where we were underspending and now it's up to the Public Education Department and the state and our partners, legislators, to develop the specifics so we know the journey. How we get there is now up to the state to do with the partners of our schools, students, and parents. Okay,
6: Um, I can't force you to tell us anything. Do you feel like the public knows enough about why you dismissed Karen Trujillo?
7: Well, here's the issue. I hope the public, uh, and and this is a great opportunity. You know, my job is to make sure that I'm meeting the needs of students and educators. And if I do that, then I'm gonna meet the requirements of Yazzie Martinez. I think that people should expect me to have the courage to be clear that the best leaders anywhere in the country should be identified. They can be from here, they can be from somewhere else. And you should expect that I will hold true to that commitment, irrespective, to make sure that we leave no stone unturned to be successful. These are really tough jobs and people should not underestimate just how hard they are. And we should thank every person, every person, who was willing to take that risk. It's a big risk to come out of the private sector or the public sector in a job that you were successful at and try to take this on. And look, we we are dealing with 86 independent school districts, just under 900 schools, right? Moving that agenda with those stakeholders and independent school boards is hard work. There's nothing about our last appointments, including the current deputies, that shouldn't reflect that we were clear about that hard work, and so were they, and that everyone is doing their very best. And if it's not enough, it is my job to make the determination to try something different. And that's exactly what I did. So there isn't any specific issue, Mm -hmm. right? It is I just know we need more. And I intend to do everything in my power to make the grade in public education on behalf of New Mexico, and that's my job.
6: It doesn't sound like it's a hire you regret.
7: No. Look, I I really, I mean, I think New Mexicans are incredible. I'm a New Mexican. I get to be (laughs) the governor. But it is clear that sometimes we don't have the right professional development. And we actually, in that $446 million, we got professional development. And it's an issue we've been debating. So if you're an effective manager, you're a terrific principal. But were you an effective educator in the classroom? Just because I understand some of the educational investments and reforms doesn't translate that I would be an effective educator in the classroom. So we need... Training and investment so that you can do the classroom work. Then we need professional development so that you can do additional educational uh, efforts. So if it's STEM or STEAM uh, or something beyond that, that, you can do that as well. Then you ought to get management and leadership training and vision. And we don't do that here. And in fact, the truth is, over the last eight years, so nearly a decade, we stopped providing any of those resources whatsoever. You know what we did do is we made classroom sizes bigger. More students, less pay for educators, less support. Um, I'm dedicated to making sure that the talent in New Mexico gets the opportunity to direct their careers in a number of ways because we're going to pay for that professional development.
6: You've found, as you mentioned, uh, a a new secretary, uh, Ryan Stewart. Um, He's, as we do this interview, making the rounds. Um, What did you see um, in his experience that led you to to choose him?
7: Uh, One thing he did in particular, is that uh, most candidates talk to us about the big school districts and you know how we're going to move the needle there and we have to uh, APS uh, Albuquerque Public Schools I mean we're in the second day of school this week uh, uh, students went back to school uh, biggest school district in the state a lot of challenges a lot of opportunities So he identified the specific strategies for this school district and how he would support those, including knowing who each of the policymakers, who all the school board presidents are, when their elections are, what kinds of strategies and education and professional development in the classroom will make the difference, how you communicate to parents and students. But he also did it in Mosquero. So he gave us a roadmap For every single community, every single school, every single school district, how many hours of effort that would take, how you realign the public education department, what his expectations are from my office, from children, youth and families, from the Department of Health, who does school based health centers, from the universities who have to be part of that uh, professional uh, uh, educational development, soup to nuts. He had a plan for all of it and then demonstrated how he used similar plans. But we have to have one unique to New Mexico in other school districts and in other states like Pennsylvania that are making the differences there that we know can make a difference here. I was very impressed by that short and long range vision uh, by our new secretary.
6: Um, You're intimately familiar with all the rankings and test scores and rates, Um, how do you sell that to someone who you're like, I'm pretty sure this is my person, Um, here's what you're dealing with, we've had a rough go of it, we want to move forward. How do you sell that?
7: Well, two things, and that's a really valuable question because, uh, and I, I don't want to. I, I want New Mexicans to want to be public servants, but we get a lot of folks who are very interested in a position and come to us, and you know say, I think I can do it. I just want to try, but don't realize the risks and don't realize what's really at stake in these jobs. And I'm going to get to Ryan in a minute. I'm going to use another cabinet secretary that I recruited, Brian Blaylock from uh, California. And he came here from San Francisco ready to tell me no. Over at CYFD. Right, over at CYFD. There's no way that governor can recruit me to go into the, the worst state in the country for child well-being without the resources, the tenacity, and the support to really turn it around. It's just, that's too hard. And I basically talked about When you do this work anywhere in the country, what you want is an entire state that wants to make a difference with the resources and the leadership that will support you to make those differences. If you're really in public service, you just want to make that difference. And uh, I made that case to Ryan Stewart. You're doing a great job where you are. You're in fact focused on innovation, development, and investment uh, closing achievement gaps for Underserved, hard to serve uh, uh, English language learners as a second language in the student, cl- in the classroom. You're doing that. How would you like to turn that around for one of the most diverse states in the country, one of the poorest states in the country, for policymakers who are willing to give you a moonshot so that every time you identify a strategy or resource, we will do everything in our power to get it to you? What kind of an environment? is that to get to work in. And it's an incredibly exciting environment. You want to know that the things that you work in are a priority for your governor and for your legislature and your stakeholders. That's why I stayed as the aging secretary for three governors. They committed to me that aging would be a priority.
6: Those classes that you described, the Mm -hmm. English language learners, that's all Yazzie language too. And I heard that um, uh, in his Monday announcement. um, Some some Uh, words or phrases that that sort of paralleled with Yazzie, Um, do you feel like he's positioned to um, respond quickly to that? And and now that you have sort of the first infusion, this is a Uh, (laughs) two-parter, and now that you have sort of the first infusion of the moonshot, what does the second part look like?
7: So we need to be assessing what the second part looks like. So there's no question that advocates and they should and other stakeholders are beginning to look at the second round of investments. And I want to be cautious, not that I don't think we don't need any more financial resources. You know, we still have educators, we have teachers' assistants, you know, that are that are making fourteen and eighteen thousand dollars a year, right? And these educational assistants are largely in classrooms where we have disadvantaged and disability students. If we don't have sufficient numbers of them, and there isn't sufficient professional development, and if nobody can afford to do that vocation, then we don't have the resources and tools in the classroom. A to meet the court order, and B, more importantly, to make a difference for those students. So we're going to need more resources. But I want to give you another resource example, and tell you then we're going to be assessing. And we did the 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 sort of um, uh, still park but it's a less time, uh, less intense, and more flexible component as right now we're looking for a new accountability standard so that we know where our students are, where our educators are, and where they need to go. But in our extended learning, which we know will make a difference, look, we could only spend uh, a third of it, a little more than that, up front because schools weren't ready. Right, we we don't have that money available until July. We don't know what we're getting until the end of the legislative session, which really, for most folks, is April. So the session ends uh, at the end of March, and then we've got 20 days. So, but nobody really knows just exactly what those budgets are going to look like. Plus, you have to give families and those educators more than a few months' notice when they've taken other jobs that we want them to stay in the classroom. So we're going to be spending the balance of that extended learning in the 2020 part of the school year, a part of that summer for extended learning. So ed legislators are going to want to know from us, what do the accountability measures look like while they're in the session next February and March? Then the court is going to want to know that same information. We're likely to, in advance of that, talk about professional development money, supplies money you know the average parent and grandparent is spending 250 dollars a student in the poorest state in the country we need more money for community schools right we only got a couple of million we know that that design works for a state like ours well two million dollars is not enough to transform every school into a community school in the state and then the specific accountability measures professional development measures pre-k Pre-K curriculum and the extended learning, well, we need more data in order to tell us where we need resources to make sure that every student is getting what they need.
6: It's no small job.
7: It is no small <laughs> job, and we're going to do it. This is exciting, and I know that it's, it's there's a trauma when you feel all of these investments and you've got all of these folks who are dedicating their careers to making a difference, and there is a shift. So I think about it, um, I'm going up a hill, And I was in fourth gear, and I needed to shift back down to third. I'm going to get up that hill. I need to keep my speed and my momentum, but I need to make sure that I'm in the right gear as I continue to move forward. And that's what we did in education. We just changed gears. Not plans, not direction, not efforts, not enthusiasm. We have the expertise that we need, and I'm really excited about where we go from here.
5: We'll
6: be along for the ride.
5: Thanks Terrific. for the time. Terrific. <laughs> you got
7: it, Matt. Thank you.
5: You bet. Where, in some sense, I would want to say the cruelty is part of the point. So to have the crying kids in Mississippi, it's almost like it's designed to send a message to uh, people, we want you to self-deport, we don't want you to uh, come here, and the kids are just going to be collateral damage. Bear in mind that many of these kids are American citizens.
2: According to the Nature Conservancy, Albuquerque's International District is one of the hottest parts of the city. It also has fewer public parks than other neighborhoods and a host of abandoned or neglected properties. And that's a challenge, yes, but it's also an opportunity for a pop-up park. Here's a look at the work of volunteers and the Rocky Mountain Youth Corps who debuted that park earlier this month.
8: So the pop-up park is the idea that one day it's a vacant lot and the next day a park pops up.
9: What it means is that we transform the space and if the owner of the lot decides, I love this and I want to keep it, we can permanently install it here. But if they decide no, then we can move it to another dirt lot and in that way have people imagine more green space in dirt lots. And as a community member, beautification is everything.
4: If you put your hands in the soil, if you paint it yourself, if you help construct it, you own it. You feel like, oh, this is where I live. This is where I play. This
8: is where I work. This is a brand new project. It's an idea that came together out of many partners, uh, partner organizations. And so we've been working with probably 15 different organizations and really it's been a community driven process. So we held over a year and a half, a number of community meetings where the residents in the area designed what they wanted this park space to look like. And then we're just here to support that vision coming to reality. This is
4: my community. Um, I love projects that come into the neighborhood and involve them, Um, involve them with not just, um, oh, here we have plans for you. that's not the way to go. The way to go is to actually get their inputs.
5: At the very beginning, I think it's important there's a volunteer effort from the neighborhood and from the surrounding neighborhoods because at that point, the city realizes that, you know what, hey, they care about their neighborhood. They, they They wanted to stay there.
1: It's just awesome. I'm just really amazed at what these people were able to come up with. I was seeing the sketches, but I still couldn't see the park until today, you know.
8: If you look at park space, city park space and county park space, there really is inequity in the way that those green spaces are distributed. and so. This is an opportunity for us as community members to come together and support the community and support each other in how we change the way that we distribute these green features in our city.
10: So it just has like this deep sense that what we're doing has a lot of value and importance um, in a place that that needs more people coming out and giving back to the community to help maintain our green spaces. and maintain our spaces that everybody can enjoy.
9: When many organizations in a community come together to collaborate, it builds relationships. It also means that people will take care of this space when it's done, because so many people have been involved in envisioning it and making it. And then it's really important in general to, to show that in, an initiative like this takes a lot of partners and a lot of people, and so it's truly a a community collective effort. And it's a beautiful thing to make things happen with many other people involved.
1: We need more stuff. You know, our neighborhood, um, you know, has been given a black eye for quite a while. And now, you know, with the new, you know, city administration looking at doing a lot for uh, some of the left out, so to speak, neighborhoods. And this, this is a start, you know, it's not a cure all but it's a start because the start of it is someone care someone cared enough to come put this here
3: so
4: well,
9: the international district is an urban heat island so the predominance of concrete and asphalt in the neighborhood as well as Empty dirt lots raises temperatures in the summer or whenever it's hot, and that's particularly risky for the elderly and for young kids, but for anybody that has health problems. So we need more green space in general in the International District and more shade, and also more art.
10: A lot of our local canopy or our tree cover around town um, is getting old and dying, or it is dying off because it's responding to uh, an increase in heat and a variability in drought conditions Um, and so uh, particularly in the International District there's a very small amount of canopy cover. Uh, So what we're trying to do is increase the amount of green space in the community and also inspire more moves to increase that green space um, not only from like outside initiatives but also like from within the community and uh, private landowners.
8: Okay, and so we officially open this park and welcome you to use it, enjoy it, care for it, support us and our community effort to make the International District a greener and more beautiful place. Thank you all for coming.
5: For as long as my mom's had a home in this neighborhood, as long as I've been through this neighborhood, nobody remembers anything that's ever been here before. Nobody remembers what used to be here everybody only associated with just a dirt lot and now with this it's it's good it's it's different and it just brings a little bit of little bit of like you know what i can get out of my apartment i can walk out of my house and go sit down somewhere and just just relax
1: i'm thinking and hoping that when the community actually see the completeness of this part that it will instill pride that someone thought about our neighborhood and wanted to do something that was inviting to the community as well. So the, the feeling of caring can resonate up out of this. So if we can care enough about a vacant lot, we can care enough about the inhabitants of the area.
2: Frustration with the Public Regulation Commission is certainly not new. For years, it's been beset by political infighting and criminal controversy. Actually, just this past legislative session, a constitutional amendment for 2020 passed with bipartisan support that asks voters to flip the PRC from an elected body to an appointed one. And Laura, you've represented utilities before the commission in the legislature. You know what's going on up there, and. But this week, something seems, of, last week I should say, something seems to have popped here. We've got the governor on the record, Speaker of the House on the record, the minority whips on the record. Everyone's on the record saying this situation's got to change. You know what I mean? Okay. I've never really seen anything like it. So... Regardless of the thing coming up in 2020, these folks want action now. Are we jumping the gun a little bit here, or is, no, is the situation th- warranted in your view? Well,
3: so j- just for background, I, I've represented, I'm one of those unicorns that actually represented environmental organizations right. as well as utilities at separate times, of course, mm-hmm. before the commission. And so I've had sort of both sides of, of that often very contentious um, Uh, case kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And my view of it is that this particular commission and and some of the people that are currently on it are really taking their role um, beyond, they're, they're outside the scope of what their I authority see. is. And this issue that the public is now hearing with legislators, the governor, you know, several elected officials saying this has to stop. It's not new. They actually had right. this conversation throughout the last session. Right. And it was all in the context of trying to get this um, Energy Transition Act um, passed. Mm-hmm. And in, in doing that, they encountered um, throughout the whole uh, the whole period um, involvement from the PRC commissioners mm-hmm. in, in a way that was beyond the scope of their work, and so it has. It's not really a new issue. What's really appalling is that they now, you know, at the time they were sort of putting in their two cents about what the legislation should look like, mm-hmm. what what it should or shouldn't do. The legislature has spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. PRC is a creature of the legislature. That's their right. scope is I mean, it, their scope is very specific, and it's determined by the legislature and the governor in her role of signing a particular piece of legislation. And then the PRC comes along and as commissioners are saying, no, we're not going to follow the law. That's right. So they're really beyond their scope. And I think that, that people are really appalled by their actions currently mm-hmm. in, in a couple of recent cases. Um, what's interesting, though, is when you look at all the comments, when people have started to comment on this issue, a lot of people are, app- oh, my gosh, you know, we can't have an appointed commission. This is crazy. A lot of states have appointed commissions, Mm -hmm. and what you end up seeing is a lot of those commissions have much higher um, credentials, the individual Mm -hmm. commissioners have a lot more education, a lot more experience, better credentials, and you end up with a more thoughtful uh, public utility commission than what we have here where all they do is they um, they just have to run by district, mm-hmm. which means a very small proportion of people in a particular district elect them. And so... I, get was, I, I appreciate yep.
2: that point, but Harry, interestingly, um, one of the ideas here is to reduce the influence of money. Absolutely. Right, because we've got the situation where, as Laura mentioned, they're running for office mm-hmm. and in our system, mm-hmm. you know, if you have an interest in that yeah. outcome, you can buy in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Does this fully remove that idea when you have appointed commissioners? Does the
5: industry have zero influence well, it's after a, that? it's a more indirect, influence. Here you have, say, the regulated uh, groups like PNM, for example, defending their interests. And you can't really fault them for that. Uh, That's their job, to defend their interests and defend the interests of shareholders. But in so doing, in picking up on Laura's point, Mm -hmm. given the way that the PRC is constituted, these are very localized elections Mm -hmm. by PRC commissioners uh, throughout the estate. And what aren't we getting? We aren't getting people with the right sorts of credentials. The PRC is not supposed to be right. off on its own. Right. The PRC is supposed to be applying state utility law, and that's a very technical sort of thing, and it requires people with credentials. Mm-hmm. So having the uh, having this move to an appointed commission doesn't take politics out of it uh, uh, all the way, mm-hmm. but what it does do is it provides some sort of buffer. Mm-hmm. You've got groups like Think New Mexico that have really been pushing the whole issue of credentials for the PRC, and yep. you can have a more thoughtful sort of uh, commission that's, right. that's really going to stay within the bounds of what it's supposed to do.
2: Interesting. They've been very strong on this, think New Mexico. It's very interesting, you know, if you look at the so. history of what they've been trying to do with the PRC over the last decade, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, Merritt, the idea that, you know, the state formed the PRC, as you remember back when, uh, to take politics out of utility regulation. And it just didn't work out that way.
4: Well, not when yeah. they're elected. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, my whole thing on this is what if we reform? The PRC legislatively seven years ago, and no one noticed. Oh wait, that's what happened. That's right. So, right. Uh, your point. Yeah. And it's it's a key driver in bringing um, uh, business to our state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's just tremendous. Today is the day that uh, Spaceport opens its operations center that's to right. the public. Yep. And, you know, when the Manhattan Project started, Los Alamos started, Mm -hmm. that was a federal program. This is private sector. Does anybody here really trust the PRC to manage space travel? I don't.
2: Right, right.
4: So uh, I I I think it's a huge issue and I think um, not only do uh, we need an appointed board, we need a board appointed with uh, qualifications relevant to industry trends. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I'd really like to have somebody in aviation right now on the PRC, right? Oh,
2: that's mm-hmm. an interesting thought. I yeah, that's right. That's right. Because, Tom, it to Tom, mm-hmm. that could replace some of the uh, duties they have now that legislators want to remove from the PRC, particularly some of the legal stuff, and move it into the courts, where it probably should be.
0: Yeah, and actually one of the commissioners, Cynthia Hall, has even stated that fact, that she doesn't quite understand why the judicial function is there. And by means of disclosure, I do have clients who uh, are represented uh, before the PRC, so I'm not able to uh, comment much beyond. Boy, don't we long for the days of the Corporation Commission. <laughs> uh,
1: mm-hmm. huh? No, we don't. No, we don't, actually. I'm no, just kidding.
2: Lord, pick up on that, if you would, yeah. uh, uh, on the legal stuff. Taking that out of the PRC's purview, bringing it to the courts. Does that make sense to you as a lawyer?
3: Well, what's interesting mm-hmm. is that if you look at major issues that have gone through, at least for my one of my former clients, PM, and mm-hmm. um, that has gone through the PRC, so many of those cases that were decided um by the commission, have ended up at the Supreme Court anyway, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it often is this cadence where they, you know, they go through an entirely, you know, two year, two years worth of a case. It's then decided, and then it goes to the Supreme Court right away. Right. So obviously, obviously, there's there's a problem there That's if right. the Supreme Court is taking those cases and then is making a decision mm-hmm. that actually gives it finality. So I think mm-hmm. that there is something wrong with it, although. You know this, the quasi-judicial function, and what Cynthia Hall, who's also running for re-election, so I'm sure there's there's some of that going on there in terms of what she's or her comment is. Mm-hmm. You know, the quasi-judicial function of the PRC is not unusual. A mm-hmm. lot of utility commissions around the country, all of them, have some form of quasi-judicial mm-hmm. um, enforcement, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's normal to have that. The problem is that this particular commission, if you look at the last few years, their decisions have not been consistent with what their role is and what gotcha. the law is, gotcha. and that's a real problem, I think.
2: Does that count as well? But the Facebook thing, you yes. know what I mean, that really seemed to push people, uh, elected folk over the edge a little bit, do you know what I mean?
4: Right, right. Yeah. It, 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 um, it, just the, the lack of coordination and I think, right. I, I actually though kind of see it as a positive tipping point because mm-hmm. I think one thing we've done in New Mexico is we've not held our government accountable. We let the government grow or shrink mm-hmm. depending on who's our office, but we're not holding anybody accountable for results, and I think as economies are moving faster and we have these tremendous opportunities that we keep missing out on, right. um, we can't afford to have this same old, same old anymore. We've got to find a way mm-hmm. to um, apply, uh, apply New Mexico laws in an effective and relevant and rapid way mm-hmm. for businesses coming into the mm-hmm. state.
2: Under a minute, it was pretty clear early on, Harry, that the the table of suite of issues they had to deal with was just too much. It's too much. Pipeline regulation, why isn't that
5: somewhere else? Mm Do you know
2: what I mean? It's just, have we learned a lesson here? Yeah,
5: so Mm -hmm. regulators need to have expertise, which means they can't be doing uh, too much. So to pick on on Merit's point about uh, aviation, we need to have different sorts of regulatory uh, expertise. Mm -hmm. The other thing to think about, uh, just briefly on the uh, uh, San Juan uh, issue, Mm. is. The, it feels like the PRC wants to play a political role, but it's not playing a political role in the right way. So you have folks from the Navajo Nation raising right. issues. That's right. And you brought that in there, too. We're back in a moment
2: with the state's cold shoulder to immigration and customs enforcement. New Mexico in Focus is on Twitter and Facebook. Follow us online to get updates on upcoming shows and tell us what you think about the top news stories of the week. Then tune in because we may share your comments on the line. A federal immigration official sent a curious email to the State Workforce Solutions Department earlier this month asking for direct access to database of every employer and employee in the state. New Mexico said no, and just days later, ICE raided food plants in Mississippi, rounding up almost 700 undocumented immigrants. Now, Merritt, the state said it would consider ICE requests on a case-by-case basis. Um, we can understand that case mm-hmm. by case. You got to you got to go there, mm-hmm. but what's your sense of where where the states coming from here? It seems like a blanket across the board deal here. No access. Is that the right way to go, or is there, is there something in the middle here you could see that could serve both parties, meaning security for the nation and privacy for our citizens here?
4: Well, I think I think the states in a real tough position because mm-hmm. we have a sluggish economy, and mm-hmm. we uh, do rely on undocumented. I mean, we don't want to turn down any business, but. To me, the only way to regulate or to manage illegal immigration is to hold employers accountable. And that's something that's not been done in the past. I will say this uh, the Trump administration has significantly increased the cases and charges against employers Mm. um, over previous uh, administrations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I think perhaps a conversation between New Mexico and ICE would be in order to say, uh, you know, what, what's your expected impact? What are right. you doing? It, just um, getting an order and refusing it—that's that's not taking the ball down the field to the fact that we have no guest program outside of the H two uh, visa program. Mm-hmm. And when we have, um, as unemployment gets better around the country, other a lot of the firms that had. Um, uh, that were raided in Mississippi said we'd had a downturn. We were not able to keep American citizens right. taking these jobs. Right. So I, I think it, the whole thing screams yep. we've got to have we have to have a guest worker program. We right. have to decide uh, uh, what that looks like, mm-hmm. and we have to hold accounta- uh employers accountable to some standard, whether it's the guest worker program, whether it's employing mm-hmm. citizens. Mm-hmm. But if they're, it, it's it's like uh, treating the. Um, uh, addressing the drug dealers and the demand situation in the drug war. Mm. We have to address the demand situation, which is we are offering jobs right. under the table. That's
2: right. Interesting point there. Uh, Tom, the idea that uh, Bill McCamley, who heads uh, the, the department workforce solutions, says, quote, it's not a secret what they want this information for, end quote. That's pretty bare knuckled stuff. Is he yeah. just protecting New Mexicans? I mean, he's just looking at the situation for what it is and saying, not happening here.
0: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Bill has never been short of words. Uh, <laughs> <You> <laughs> he always speaks what's on his mind. I think that's one of the reasons he's very successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, it should not come as a surprise because New Mexico is a sanctuary state. We right. have a number of cities that are sanctuary cities. Yep. So, you know, the fact that ICE wants to kind of come in and kind of take a look-see. Mm-hmm. Really not that surprising. Uh, you know, given uh, the current state of affairs, you know, I, I think Mr. McCam- McCamley is, uh, is spot on. Mm.
2: Interesting point. Mm-hmm. What, did you, what did you make of it? I
0: mean, he also said we need to be extremely careful and protect
2: people's civil rights and personal information. Neither Governor Luhan Grisham or I, nor I will work to destroy families. We need communities where people feel safe. That makes sense to you when you it hear does. those quotes. I mean, yeah.
3: I, I applaud him for for taking that position, and the yeah. governor for for doing that. Um, you know, Bill is uh, from Las Cruces. Yep. He represented um, a district down there, and mm-hmm. he's familiar with this in a way that I think people in Albuquerque and Santa Fe are not necessarily as familiar. Mm-hmm. You know, when you drive around southern uh, Southern New Mexico, you see um, a lot of border patrol trucks. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of a lot of um, people. You know, that are that do that for a living. They You know, the the issue of immigration, illegal immigration, is much more in your face in southern New Mexico. And Mm -hmm. I think he understands um, much more than I think uh, maybe other state reps might, Mm -hmm. um, former state reps, Mm -hmm. about the impact to families. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big motivating factor for that. Mm -hmm. When you you start to allow a federal agency to take, um, you know, have access to a to a database, um, you know, you're going to start breaking up families. I mean, and that,
2: every worker in New Mexico, when you think about
4: that, amazing. And that that's has, amazing.
3: I mean, that's a lot of information. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that, um, you know, Republicans often don't, you know, don't want to see federal government overstepping their bounds and mm-hmm. having access and, you know, the black helicopter idea and all that, but yet in this context, mm-hmm. yes, let's give them access right. to every employer, right. every employee in yep. the state
2: which, by the way, Harry, included names and addresses. Yes. Addresses, when you think about that, you can't turn over an entire workforce. Yeah, <laughs> You know
5: what when I mean? when, there, when there's no wow. particular suspicion, when we're right. just, it's almost a fishing expedition, right. but it's, well, not almost, it is a fishing sure. expedition, but it's also... There's a big distinction, I think, between having a rational immigration policy, to, so to go to Merit's a point, mm-hmm. looking at E-Verify and the behavior of employers, versus these big, splashy, dramatic raids, gotcha. where in some sense, I would want to say the cruelty is part of the point. So to have the crying kids in Mississippi, it's almost like it's designed to send a message to uh, people, we want you to self-deport, we don't want you to uh, come here, and the kids are just going to be collateral damage. Bear in mind that many of these kids are American citizens. That's right. That's That's exactly right. Mm. And the administration's been clear they want more of this. They want no, much, more, more much more of this. The spectacle is the point as opposed to a rational policy That's right. that would really get everybody on board, including employers, mm-hmm. uh, but also start to think about what does a immigration policy look like that both fulfills the needs of the economy and is also consistent with our values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And this is really not
3: unlike what... Um, the Trump administration's efforts had been to try to get voter data information from uh, the Secretary of State's mm-hmm, office, right. to which mm-hmm. the, our current Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, said, no, right. we're yeah. not going to play this game. That's right. I think it's important that we, I, uh, that we recognize that New Mexico has drawn a line in the sand mm-hmm. and recognize that we have rights, that we have certain civil rights, civil liberties that should not be infringed upon. Mm-hmm. And I think the point that Harry made about particularized suspicion is really important. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's fundamental, constitutional, that's Fourth right. Amendment stuff, mm-hmm. where you yep. need to have a particularized particularized suspicion about Sorry. someone or something mm-hmm. and not just a random, you know, database that you're able to go in and get information on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, merit the, oh, go ahead jump a oh, the mm-hmm. the
0: only Please. thing I was going to add was is that okay, so ICE, you know, maybe they can't get in here, but uh, you know, Department of Homeland Security and specifically Border Patrol can. And uh, between Truth or Consequences and Albuquerque, a new mm. uh, immigration checkpoint, customs checkpoint has popped up. Ah. And so, you know, now along I-25, you now have two different checkpoints. So, uh, you know, where they might not be able to get impact in one, they'll focus on another.
2: Interesting point there. And Mara's about to mention the ICE officials said this information would be used to provide agents with, quote, a quick same day response, pardon, end quote, presumably regarding workers' legal resident status. That, That, it sounds frightening. I mean, same day response? I'm not quite sure what they're getting at there. Do you have a sense of what they're, what they're, what, what does that language mean? Well,
4: and I'm not sure why um, they would rely on New Mexico to provide that data with the I-9 program, with um, every employer having a federal tax ID. At mm-hmm. some point, you've got to describe something as payroll, right? right. And and to me, there's to there's, track, there's, yeah. there's a lot of federal data on this mm-hmm. um, uh, th- that could be gotten. So I almost wonder if this isn't um, also a litmus test for specific you know specific states mm-hmm. uh, in, in its way and. Uh, I, 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 is, is I, I part I, I, of the I problem that
2: odd. Texas went along with this, is, is ICE empowered now? They, they claim Texas has given them this information. They have all the names and addresses and the worker information. Does this, it just sounds like they're empowered now as opposed mm-hmm. to anything I guess, else. I I just
4: don't understand what Texas would have this and the feds wouldn't.
2: Right. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you have a closing thought on that, Tom? We're about 30 seconds on here.
0: Uh, you know, it's uh, there's what they say, and then there's reality. Right. Um, you know, there are different uh, agencies that have real credibility issues. So just because they say, we've mm-hmm. seen it, have they really seen it?
2: Very good point there. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks to all of you for joining us and Harry Van Buren, HVB. More famously, we wish you the best of luck from that all of good. us here at New Mexico PBS. You're going to kill out there. It's going to be great. You're going to be really you. good. And to your wife, she's teaching as well. She's there. teaching
5: as well, and uh, we're just going to be traveling around uh, Southern uh, Europe and in Northern Africa, it. in the uh, Middle East, but uh, we'll be following the show uh, closely and in two years, uh, come back. And I'm sure all the problems and will be fixed in by in that
2: That's right. <laughs> so let's, let's raise a New Mexico PBS mug to Harry Van Buren. Best of luck. Really appreciate it. Thank you very Absolutely. much. See you next week. Some brief housekeeping before we go, the governor's announcement of a new education secretary and our conversation about it, bumped our interview with Indian Affairs Secretary Lynn Trujillo to next week. We appreciate her patience and yours. We'll get that interview up online as soon as it's ready. We also wrapped up our series of back to school conversations on Facebook Live this week, and we live streamed the governor's announcement of Dr. Ryan Stewart as the PED secretary. You can find those videos on our Facebook page. Thanks again for joining us and for staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus.
0: Funding for New Mexico and
1: Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you.